With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, Cam. Yes, Jeff. You know, with Alex being the world traveler of late and being over in Europe and visiting Italy and all that, you know that he is going to be above annoying with his Italian stuff coming back. He's going to talk about Italian food, Italian drinks. He's going to probably think he's Italian. You know, like he's, he's probably going to be a bit annoying, don't you think? Oh, yes. As we talked about last week, the man is going to come back to this show feeling all cultured and whatnot. Well, speaking of culture, I figured out a way for you to communicate with him when you want to sign off next week's show. Okay. Because he's going to think he's Italian. So how would you say goodbye to an Italian? Uh, I don't know. How do you think? Pasta la vista, baby. Just going to go ahead and let you do this show by yourself. Dansby throws to first base. Is this happening? It is! The Atlanta Braves are world champions! Welcome to the Chatting Average Podcast, presented by Sports Drink. Here are your hosts, Cam Matthews and Alex Butler. Now you're all in big, big trouble. Welcome to your friendly neighborhood Atlanta Braves podcast. Welcome to Chatting Average. I'm your host, Cam Matthews, joined once again this week by Mr. Jeff Donahue. Jeff, how you doing, buddy? I'm hanging in there, man. Fighting a little bit of crud in the lungs, but other than that, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're going to do our best to keep you hanging in there on this episode. So, folks, hang tight because Jeff is doing this for you. But... We know we're looking forward to some great conversation here tonight, but as always, if you want to have other great conversations throughout the week with the rest of the Chatting Average crew, you need to check out ColorCast. ColorCast, of course, as you know, is a free app brought to you by our friends here at Sports Drink. ColorCast, you can download on your Android or Apple devices, sign in with your Twitter account, and every Wednesday night at 8.30, you can join either Alex or I on the ColorCast app. Heck, this past Wednesday night, neither Alex or I were going to be available, so the chatting average crew took over. That's right, the inmates were running the asylum. Special shout-out to some of our biggest fans for coming in clutch once again and helping us out on ColorCast. But we always have a good time each and every single Wednesday night at 8.30. ColorCast app, download it, join us on Wednesdays, and bring your spiciest takes. So, Jeff. Back on the show again this week while Alex is uh, traveling across the globe, making his way back to the United States. Uh, how, how has your week been? It's been pretty good. Like I said a minute ago, fighting a little bit of uh, upper respiratory infection. So apologies to the listeners if I'm uh, a lot of <clears throat> and <clears throat> so uh, bear with me through that. And also like to apologize for that terrible Italian accent that I attempted a few oh, minutes gosh. ago. So, you know, <laughs> do it, do it for the joke. But, you know. But sorry for that. But now the week's been great. Um, went by very quickly. And uh, obviously we had a four-day work week, so that's always great. But um, nothing really super exciting to report. Um, 
just kind of regular week. Heard that, heard that. Well, it's certainly been a, a fun week in, in terms of in terms of baseball and everything. And, and Jeff, I know that uh, last week we talked about upcoming trips for you and the family uh, as as school plans to get out. But uh, I know I know your son Maddox is probably looking forward to school letting out. What is it this coming week? Uh, he's already out. He got out last uh, last Wednesday. That's right. That's right. He he sure did. He sure did. So so what what grade is he going into? He'll be going into seventh. All right. All right. What a man. Middle school is I feel like is middle school is kind of a tough age. I feel like because you're you're getting out of like the elementary school mindset, but you're not quite a high schooler yet. It's like a know? weird, awkward stage. Yeah, because I don't think you know who you are. Like you're you're really no. in between. you know, like you're you're not fully there, but you're kind of discovering who you are. But um, yeah, he's <clears throat> he's a good kid. He's. He's kind of tried sports and he's tried art. He's tried music and he's done all these different things. So he's kind of finding himself and all that. But um, yeah, middle school, I don't know about now if there's more pressure with social media and all this kind of stuff than it was back when we were kids, but it's definitely an awkward age for sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny growing up, you watch different like kid shows and sitcoms and stuff like that. And it's always the high school bully, you know, like, like the terrible high school. Kids were honest to God meaner in middle school than I ever saw them be in high school. Oh, yeah. At least, absolutely. at least, Mike, like middle school kids are mean. There's something about that 12 to 14 year, you know, age range that like kids just get mean. Oh, yeah. Well, and they're like, they're filled with insecurities because they, they're changing, their bodies are changing, their, you know, their, their, their likes are changing and all that. So I think they just probably project a lot of their insecurities on other kids. But yeah, they're mean, man. They can be really, really ruthless. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They can. So uh, what, what is, what is your son's favorite subject in school? None of them. Probably, probably the last no. one at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> now, honestly, I don't know. He's probably, he's, he's cut from my cloth. So he's not, he's not a big math guy. Um, yeah. you know, numbers kind of scare him a little bit, but I would probably say, uh, I don't know if that's, I don't know what they call it now. Everything's changed. Like all their, all their classes are different than when I was in middle school, but like, I guess what I would call social studies, um, is, is probably one of those kind of things that he enjoys doing. He likes a little bit of history and things like that. Very nice. Very nice. So, uh, so let's see, seventh grade. That means, that means he's, he's a couple of years away from going through driver's ed and getting his learner's permit, right? Yeah. We don't have to talk about that right now. Yeah. Uh, oh no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're totally <laughs> going to talk about that. No, he's, uh, he is, uh, he's got a little bit of experience driving stuff. He's, you know, go-karts and things like that. And he, um, my in-laws have a, a gator and a, uh, a golf cart on their property. So we always out cruising around in that. So in fact, he drove Nikki around today through the, my, my in-laws neighborhood on the golf cart, just joining around. So he, he, he has the concept down. I think it'll be a little bit different when he's in a car, but he, um, I think he will be an okay driver. He's very aware and very conscious of things. So hopefully that doesn't change. Is he, is he beginning those talks about like his first car now that he's, can kind of see that that coming up in the on the horizon or ah not really <clears throat> I don't think we're quite there yet he um I mean he, he likes you know he's like every other kid like he thinks like supercars are cool it's so, like you know see a Lamborghini or a you know a, a I don't know like a Porsche 911 or something like that he you know he's like oh man that's awesome but yeah. as far as like a car he could drive he hasn't said anything yet okay okay so what was I, I feel like maybe we, I know we've talked about dream cars on the show before. Mm-hmm. What was what was your first car? My first car was a 1986 Honda Accord LX five speed. Ooh. Yes, this car was um, my parents bought it for me. I was in uh, I was in 
I guess I was a senior in high school. It was a little bit later. I, I was I didn't I just started driving when I was sixteen, but I didn't get my first car till I was uh, I just turned eighteen, and um, unfortunately wrecked it two weeks later. And I mean oh. wrecked it by wrapping it around a tree. Wrecked it. it I I finished it off real good. <laughs> well, uh, sounds like neither of us drove our first cars for very long. My first car was a nineteen eighty three Ford Bronco. Ooh, I'd love to have one of those now. Man, okay, so I, I regret. Scott for Scott's here. You ever want to grow new grass faster? Kind of like when you press the two times playback button on your podcast so you can speed through episodes. Except it's Scott's turf builder, rapid grass. You're speeding your way from a thin and damaged lawn to a thicker, stronger one in just weeks. Bit too fast, maybe slow it down. Okay. Let's just go back to normal speed. Get a bag of Scott's turf builder, rapid grass today. It grows grass two times faster than seed alone when applied at the new lawn rate, subject to proper care. Feed your lawn. Feed it. To this day that I ever sold it, but at the time, you know, I spent I spent an entire summer fixing it up. I got it uh, got it not too long after my 16th birthday. My dad bought it on Craigslist for me. He, I think he bought it for $500. Oh, man. Is what he bought it for. Um, which, you know, God, you couldn't find any kind of car in any kind of condition at this point for 500 bucks. No, no way. Uh, but yeah, he you know he he pulls it into the driveway, tosses me the keys, and says it needs some work. But here you go. So we spent like an entire summer fixing it up and everything. Um, and you know I would drive it up and down the street, uh, you know, up and down the road it, while we were working on it, that sort of thing. And then that school year, I started driving it to school and started driving it to my little part time job that I had at night. And I quickly found out that especially when gas was at four dollars a gallon at this time, that uh. $100 going into the gas tank as a 17-year-old uh, working maybe 20 hours a week, not really affordable. Yeah, like, the math, the math doesn't all. work out on that, does it? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Especially, you know, I could, I could leave the house, drive to school, go to work, drive home, and burn a quarter tank of gas. Oh, those old Broncos, day. you could watch the needle drop. Oh, it was awful. I mean, like, I, I hate that I ever sold it. And in hindsight... Because I ended up selling that and ended up buying a, a 98 Mustang from my cousin. Um, so I, I actually, I ended up making money on the Bronco with everything that we did to it. And then, you know, made enough to buy a Mustang from my cousin, which then I ended up selling it back to him a few years ago. But in hindsight, we always talk about we should have just traded vehicles. Because at the time, he would have loved to have a Bronco to have worked on, and we probably could have just traded back when we were done with, with each of the cars. But. Yeah, let each other soup the cars up and then give them back. Yeah, yeah, but now now I have no idea where that Bronco is, and I hate it. Like I hate that I, I let it go because there's so many little custom things I did to it that um, that I really like. Like, for instance, you know, we, we pulled all the seats out. We pulled uh, – we cut out all the rubber matting on the floor. We had to patch a couple of holes in it, and then I rhino-lined the entire floor um, front to back. Oh, wow. So it had, so it had that, like, gritty surface on oh, it. yeah, yep. You know, you could have just taken a hose to it. Uh, I got nice seat covers for both of the seats. I put a new dash in. You know, I had all these, like, plans for it, and then when I figured out that I couldn't even afford to actually keep the thing on the road, I had to make a change. Yeah, those are, those are gas guzzlers for sure. Oh, it it was awful. I don't even know if I could calculate what the actual gas mileage was on that thing, but it was a great car. And I know that, you know, it was probably the safest thing on the road when I was driving it because it was probably bulletproof. I, uh, I wish that I had gotten rid of my first car because it was an unaffordable, but it was undrivable after I drove it too quickly around a turn. 
Um, did not know what I was doing. Um, I had driven obviously a lot before, but you know, a teenager with his friends in the car driving crazy. And I took a turn <clears throat> a little bit too fast and the car slid off the road and went down into an embankment around a tree. And fortunately everybody's okay. I did one girl in the car did have to go to the hospital just to get her, her, uh, her leg checked out, but she was okay. But, um, it was a wake up call for me personally. And I, um, I haven't driven that crazy since. Yeah, you know, usually, unfortunately, especially when it comes to driving for, for a lot of people, it, it does take something like that happening to learn. I, fortunately, I never got into an accident, but there was a time frame in my freshman year of college where I got two speeding tickets in the course of, I think, three or four months. And when you have to pay lawyer fees that closely to each other to get out of speeding tickets, you quickly mm. learn, hey, you know. It doesn't cost anything to actually drive the speed limit, so I've had a, I've had a, my fair share of those as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always tell folks though, like best thing you can do is hire a lawyer to to get you out of it because I think it, most I think most of my tickets I had the cop was cool enough to say, "Hey, I'm gonna drop the points." Or, oh, really? Or, or or adjust the speed to make it where it wasn't. You know, because it wasn't. I never got caught speeding like twenty over. It was always like you know fifty five and a forty or some silly, but. You know, right, the, the, the right. policeman always took care of it, so it wasn't. I never got to the point where I needed that, you know. I th- so the first first speeding ticket I got, I'll never forget. It was um, it was the last day uh, of my first semester in college, and I'm driving home, and I'm you know finished my finals. I'm I'm done with school for a few weeks, you know, through Christmas and everything. Excited to you know get to the house, and I'm literally I don't know five minutes from my house, and. I guess I blew through a stoplight making a turn. Like the light had turned red. I was turning right. There was nobody even close to me. So I didn't come to a complete stop to turn right. I just kind of rolled through mm. and went. Well, apparently a deputy was hiding and saw me do that. And to make matters worse, uh, I then booked it up to like, I think, what did he pull me? I think he pulled me doing 59 and a 45 or Ooh. something like that. Yeah, he was a uh, he was he was not too friendly when he did pull me over. Oh, I, I, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. And then the the second time. So, for any of our listeners who have ever traveled into the great city of Wilmington, uh, Wilmington is a speed trap because what happens is you come off a of highway forty two, which has a seventy mile an hour speed limit, and as you get into Wilmington proper, the speed limit immediately drops down to fifty five. We are talking Wilmington, North Carolina, correct? Yes, 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 correct. And so uh, my wife and I, uh, it was after I finished up first year of college, we were going down to Carolina Beach uh, for a couple of days, heading down heading down to, to the old boardwalk and everything, have a good old weekend, and state trooper hiding behind some bushes caught me uh, as I was getting into Wilmington, and boom, second speeding ticket within the course of, of just a few months, and not great. Those uh those little towns are sneaky because it'll go from fifty five to forty five in like ten feet, and that's where the cops oh yeah, are. yep, yeah, exactly. And it's like oh you know the speed limit is forty five right here, and it's like I, I couldn't have slowed down. Yeah, I can still see the fifty five sign behind me. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, really. Oh man. Yeah. So fun times. Speeding speeding tickets are always uh, always fun. I, I will. I do remember. Uh, not long after I had the Mustang, I did get pulled over uh, coming down the highway. Uh, speed limit was 70. I was the only car around. Middle of the afternoon, uh, I had gotten out of class early, so it was like right before rush hour, so I'm like the only person 
booking it down the highway. And all of a sudden, state trooper out of nowhere comes flying up behind me. And I look down at my speedometer and I'm doing like 72. Like I know I'm not speeding, Mm -hmm. right? And all of a sudden, I see another state trooper right behind him. So I've got two troopers pulling me over. So I pull over and I'm like, crap, what is happening right now? And so the guy gets out, he comes up to my window, and he's like, yeah, uh, clock, you're doing 90. I'm like, I'm sorry? And he's like, yeah, uh, clock, you're doing 90, you're in a 70 zone. And I looked at him, I was like, sir, not going to argue with you, but uh, I know I was not doing 90 miles an hour. He steps back for a second, looks at the back of the Mustang that I'm driving, and he goes, are those tires on the back end wider than on the front? I said, yeah. He said, oh, there it is. He says, probably throwing your speedometer off. Might just want to get that checked. Have a good afternoon. And just heads back to his car. Oh, wow. To this day, I'm not exactly convinced he was like being truthful about what I was about, what speed I was actually going. I I'm almost convinced it was a training exercise because the other trooper never got out of his car. And it's like they were following each other. Yeah. So I feel like maybe they were just like having a training exercise, of, you know, and they saw me being the one lone little car going down the road. I don't know. Anyway, got yeah, out of that one. I mean, you know, if you're going 90 miles an hour, especially on a highway that's 70, I mean, you, you know, when you're getting close to like, you know, I mean, 90, that, that's that's like high lace interstate speed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- there's there's going to be a little shake in the steering wheel or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, you get above 80, most of your cars are going to start having a little play in it. But yeah. eh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you got well, lucky anyway. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jeff, these are, these are certainly some fun stories. But how about you say we jump into some stories from baseball history? Let's do it. All right. We are going to jump into this week in baseball history. As always, you can find these facts at nationalpastime.com. And the week we're going to be looking at is June 6th through the 12th. Our first fact comes to us from June 6th, 1957. After an 86-minute delay, the first fog out in Major League history occurs at Ebbets Field when the umpires call off the Dodgers game against the Cubs due to extremely poor visibility. The postponement occurs with Brooklyn having a one-to-nothing lead with one out in the bottom of the second. Jeff, what was your reaction when you heard this news back in 57? I think you purposely select these older pre, uh, pre-Jeff pre dates. Okay, to- look, I would I would never do such a thing, Dad. Mm-hmm. Look, there are baseball facts that happen between 1977 and now. That's all I'm saying. You don't have to always do the old ones just when I'm on the show. Well, okay, okay, fine. What? Uh, how about this, Jeff? What are your general thoughts on this fact? Since you seem to think I've just wanted to make an old joke at your expense. Uh, my thoughts that it was a fog out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, you think they would let some time, you know, wait a little bit and see if it went away? Um, but I don't know. It, I, I would have figured that there would have been a fog out before that point for some reason. Like that, that's odd to me that it took that long to get that weather delay. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms like it, when you think about the grand scheme of baseball history, 1957 is still relatively recent. Yeah, so it's interesting. All right, our next fact comes to us from June 8, 1997. Hey, I was alive. Hey, there we go. Hey, I was too. How about that? Barely. Yeah, barely. I, I was. I was 
three years old when this happened. En route to a two to nothing shutout of the Tigers, Mariner Southpaw Randy Johnson strikes out 15 batters. The big unit's performance marks the 74th time he has reached double digit strikeouts in his career. So I will never turn I will never turn away a Randy Johnson fact because Randy Johnson ruled. That dude is incredible. He, he was it it cannot be understated with just what an enigma Randy Johnson was. Yeah, he it, I mean his, his he was a unit. Like his nickname is perfect for him. Like that dude was just he was unreal. And he's he's such a cool story too because when he first came into the league, it was believed he would be a bust because he had no control at all. Like you just you never knew where his pitches were going. And you know, and even then, like throughout his career, he was known for being wild at times. But just talk about a guy at, at basically seven feet tall throwing a hundred miles an hour, mm-hmm. just striking out everybody in their muck. Just yeah. tremendous stuff. That ball is that ball is being released much closer to you as a batter than it would be from, you know, say like Spencer Strider. Well, yeah, yeah. Not, I mean, not only is it coming in technically closer, but it's coming in from such a higher angle yep. too. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's the, the arm slot is so much higher than what you would be used to from another pitcher. It just, it makes it incredibly difficult to pick up. What a, what a, what a, what a guy Randy Johnson was. Him, him striking out 15, like if you like say somebody else struck out fifteen, you'd be like, "Oh man!" But like for him to strike out fifteen, you're kind of like, "Yeah, it's normal." Like that sounds yeah. that sounds like a normal outing for him. I mean, like, like I said, and, and the fact at, this is 1997. At this point, this is his 74th start with double digit strikeouts. Yeah, that's crazy. It's bananas, just unreal. All right, our next fact comes to us from June 10th, 1944. Six weeks shy of his 16th birthday, Joe Nuxhall becomes the youngest person to play in a major league contest in this century, beginning a 60-year tenure with the Reds organization that includes becoming best known as the voice of the team's radio broadcasts. After being called in the ninth inning into a 13 to nothing route by the Cardinals at Crossley Field, the 15-year-old high school southpaw retires the first batter he faces but is unable to get out of the inning, yielding five walks, two hits, one wild pitch, and five runs. So I feel like I need more information on this. How is it that at 15 years old, you are getting this opportunity? Yeah. Like how, like wh- where was the connection? Like, did they scout him? Did he know somebody like how 15 year olds, you know, it wasn't like the system now where there's farm systems and all that stuff. It's like, how did he get noticed? And and I, the other cool thing about the story is that you know, like like it said, this began a sixty year career with the Reds. You know, it, sure he had his moment in the sun, you know, in, in this ball game here, but then he moved on into their radio department and worked there for six decades. I'm sure they suggested after that outing that he probably should go into broadcasting or, <laughs> some, or some other you, uh, form. Of, yeah, you need yeah, to find yeah. another skill, son. Yeah, we have a couple other positions open. How about those? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, and I always, I always like hearing about these guys that have such long tenures uh, with their teams. You know, you think of a guy like a Bob Euchre, who you know who we talked about last week, who has been with the Brewers for forever, or you know, you think about a Vin Scully who's with the Dodgers, you know, since they were in Brooklyn. I did not know this until I, I don't know, a month and a half ago. Um, 
funny enough, I was listening to a Brewers game on, on one of the Braves' days off, and Euchre got to talking about, and I can't not remember the gentleman's name, and I hate I didn't pull it up while I was thinking of this. Um, the Spanish radio broadcaster for the Dodgers has been with the organization almost as long as Vince Scully was with the Dodgers. Oh, wow. Like, this guy is in his early 80s and has been with them, I believe, since since the year they moved to Los Angeles. That's so, why, you don't, you know, I think the the Spanish announcers and like, you know, like Los Bravos and all that is starting to come around to be a little bit more popular than the years past, but or, or, or acknowledged at least. So there probably wasn't the presence, obviously, that the Dodgers would have had with Vince Scully. But that's a, that's awesome. That he's been with them that long. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, well, and you know, in, in that market, it it makes sense, too, that they have such a strong, um, you know, Hispanic listening audience. I, funny enough, uh, I recently – and just in, in speaking with her, there, there's a lady that I graduated from high school with, uh, Hispanic, and her dad, I believe, was born in, in Mexico um, before he became a U.S. citizen. But he's a huge Braves fan, does not speak English very well, but apparently loves their Spanish broadcasting team and has been a Braves fan for like 20 something years. That's so, awesome. yeah, like, you know, learning stuff like that and just being reminded of what a a global sport baseball really is, is just, you know, that, that that's really fun to me. If a Spanish baseball broadcast is anywhere remotely close to the fun of a Spanish soccer match, it's got to be a good time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, some of my favorite things, and I haven't seen very many of them this year. Um, maybe I need to check and see if, if I've missed any across the Twitter timeline. But every now and then, uh, the, the brave Spanish feed will post, the uh, the broadcast calls of like home runs mm-hmm. uh, of, of from Braves games and they are the best. It's like the goal. Yeah, yeah. He did. he throws out like Safeway. Like it's so good. Yeah, so good. There's there's so much emotion behind those calls. I love it. Just absolute electric factory. All right, and our final fact comes to us from June twelfth, nineteen ninety seven, at the ballpark in Texas. The Giants defeat the Rangers 4-3 to in the first interleague game in history played in the 126-year history of the sport. San Francisco outfielder Daryl Hamilton picks up the first-ever interleague hit, and his teammate Glennon Hall-Hill becomes the National League's first regular season designated hitter. It did not occur to me that interleague play just began 25 years ago. That that's that that is how recent it actually is. Yeah, I remember when it was like a, a big deal. Like it was the, you know, like there was a lot of debate, and obviously Twitter didn't exist then, thankfully. But uh, there was a lot of debate where you know the game's not going to be pure anymore because now you won't have the two best teams meeting in the World Series. You know, there's a chance for them to play beforehand or after. And um, I don't, I don't remember a whole lot of backlash against it. Um, I thought it was kind of cool at first, and then. Um, I see in 99, I went to see the Braves play the Red Sox in Fenway, um, which, you know, obviously it had been two years after that. But it was still it's still kind of cool to see a, a regular season game between an AL team and an NL team. Like, so I, th- I think the novelty of it was 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 cool. But then you got to like you open up and like, OK, I get to see teams that I wouldn't normally get to see because not everybody's going to go to a World Series. You're not going to go to a World Series year after year. So to get to see the Mariners come into town or, you know, get to see the Rangers or like you right. get to go to a visiting ballpark and see your own team play there. I, it's a great idea. Um, and I think now it's just kind of commonplace. Like, Oh yeah, we play 
the AL East this year or whatever. But um, but those first couple of years, it was really cool because you're like, man, I've I've never seen the Yankees play in real life. You know, it's kind of neat. Well, and I think it isn't it next year that everybody is going to play everybody at some point in the season. I believe so. I think that's part of the new recommendation or the new uh, CBA. And, and you know, it, I, I get the argument about separating interleague play until your World Series. I, I get that. But, you know, to your point, two teams make the World Series every single year. Mm-hmm. And if I want to be able to see Mike Trout play in person, more than likely, if I had to wait until a World Series for that to happen, I would probably never see it happen. Yeah, you would probably die. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I, I being that – Baseball is a national sport that, you know, anybody could theoretically have access to any team they, you know, they want to see. And, you know, you are more educated on players, you know, across different leagues and across different time zones and that sort of thing. I think there is the need for being able to see these other teams in person. So, you know, interleague play doesn't bother me. But again, you know, you were talking about remembering it being introduced, I guess, because it was in 97 and I was technically three years old at the time. It's always been something that I've seen. So that's why it never really dawned on me that that's how recent it actually was. Yeah. I got a t-shirt when I went to Fenway uh, because it was the, I guess I I may be speaking incorrectly here, but I think it was the first time that the Braves had played Boston in Fenway then like, you know, as part of the center league deal, but they gave us a t-shirt and uh, had the two logos on like the front t-shirt pocket and on the back, it had the, uh, the ale, uh, lo- the American League logo and the National League logo, kind of like uh, fighting over a baseball. It's a pretty cool T-shirt, but uh, that's how big of a thing it was. Is they were giving like T-shirts away to commemorate this interleague game. So um, it just kind of it's just something that happens now. And I don't think people even think about it anymore. But, um, but yeah, it was a big deal back then. Very cool. Well, very cool. Well, Jeff, you know what else is a very big deal? Tell me. Color cast. Folks, you already know by now, ColorCast is a free app you can download on your mobile device. Alex and I use it each and every single Wednesday night at 8.30, where we hop on with the Chatting Average crew, the inmates of the Chatting Average Asylum, so to speak, where we talk all things sports, movies, King of the Hill, South Park, whatever else you want to talk about. We have a grand old time each and every single Wednesday night at 8.30. Of course, ColorCast is brought to you by our friends at Sports Drink, who bring you this podcast each and every single week. So be sure to go out, download the ColorCast app, and hop on Wednesday nights at 8.30 with either Alex or I. Be sure to look out for that notification and bring us your spiciest takes. Well, Jeff, it has certainly been a fun week of baseball for the Braves. What do you say we jump into this week's breakdown? Let's do it. Well, it was certainly a productive week for your Atlanta Braves. As we talked about last week, the Braves jumping into what was a seven-game stretch against a couple of teams that weren't exactly having great seasons so far. And as Jeff and I talked about last week, this was the Braves' chance to really start to gain some ground in the NL East. Our week, of course, started out Monday night in Arizona, beginning a three-game set against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Well, Unfortunately, the Braves fall 6-2 to two in this contest with Zach Gallen taking the win. Spencer Strider, four and a third innings pitch, allowing three runs, seven strikeouts, and two walks. This game just kind of getting away from the Braves, especially in the fifth inning. The score was 3-2 to two through four innings, but then Arizona with a three-run fifth 
pulled away, and that was what eventually gave us our final score of six to two. So Spencer Strider really getting his his first start, but unfortunately not quite going his way, especially after a rough error in the bottom of the third by Marcelo Zuna, which really got things rolling for the Diamondbacks. I was frustrated with the series as a whole. I thought they should have taken all three games, but um, they're – I don't know. I, I said it last Sunday. I, I hope we don't play down to our opponents, and I felt like we did in these first two games. Yeah, we, we really did. You know, this one, Atlanta, two runs, eight hits, one error. Of course, that one error being costly in the first. But, you know, eight eight hits – but only two errors coming across uh, one run in the first and one run in the fourth, you know, um, especially well, and the first run was on a wild pitch by gallon. So it, you know, it's kind of one of those things where they kind of gave it to us. And then Austin Riley had a solo Homer in the fourth, mm-hmm. but it, there just was not a whole lot going on here for the Braves at all. So Braves dropped game one to the Diamondbacks by a final score of six to two. Tuesday night, we roll back into Arizona trying to uh, trying to get things going. And again, kind of a bit of an odd game in this one. Uh, final score, 8-7. to seven. Arizona takes the game in 10 innings after the Braves give it up in the bottom of the 10th. Braves fall behind early 2 to nothing after the first inning, but manage to climb back. And by the fifth inning, the Braves suddenly have a 5-2 to two lead. Well, unfortunately, a rough night defensively out on the field for Matt Olson and for the bullpen. Uh, give up the lead, and Arizona manages to force extra innings, scoring a run in the eighth and in the ninth to tie things up. And in extra innings, Arizona pulls away eight to seven. Mark Melanson with the win in this game. So, unfortunately, former Brave gets his comeuppance on us, as it seems to always happen. Yeah, but that always happens. Again. Now suddenly in a three-game set against Arizona, the Braves have fallen to four games under 500. They're now sitting at 23 and 27, and you've dropped two out of three to the Diamondbacks already. Yeah, not the way you want to start out a road trip for sure. No, no, not at all, especially knowing that the Mets are pushing their lead. I believe after this game, the Mets extended their lead to over 10 games. It was like 10 or 10 and a half. Yeah, I think it was a and, ten and a half at one point. Yeah, and so going into Wednesday, that, that was the Tuesday night game. Really was a letdown. But I did not stay up for that game. Full disclosure. But when I woke up the next morning and saw what had happened, you know, it, it's it's almost a little disheartening to see that kind of lackluster performance. Yeah, especially if you watched a little bit of it and you went to bed maybe when they had the lead, you know, then you go to sleep and you're like, okay, I feel pretty good about this. And you wake up the next day and you're like, what? What What happened? You know, and it's just, like I said earlier, like we, I honestly think we could have taken all three of those games. And to be sitting there after two games facing a potential sweep, you know, you're just like, what What, what happened? Like, why, how, how did we get here? Like, I thought this was one of the, the teams we were supposed to take care of. Right, right. So the Braves look to at least somewhat salvage the series. Game three coming on Wednesday afternoon in Arizona. Kyle Wright on the mound getting the start against Madison Bumgarner. And this was the game that we believe that the Braves could and should have had on Monday and Tuesday. Final score, six to nothing. Braves with six runs, 12 hits, and one error. Arizona with only three hits on the day. Kyle Wright going six innings strong, allowing no runs with five strikeouts and five walks. 
this was just a tremendous game by the Braves and by Kyle Wright. Uh, Contreras had a double in the in the top of the first inning, uh, scoring the first run of the game. Michael Harris had his first RBI of the game with a double to deep center, scoring Duvall. Austin Riley hit a three-run homer, uh, scoring Ozzie and Marcel. And then top of the ninth, uh, Matt Olson walked with bases loaded to extend the lead six to nothing, and that's where your final score lands. So Atlanta, although they dropped two out of three to the Diamondbacks, they managed to at least – Put a bit of a statement on the scorecard here in the final game against Arizona. Yeah, Contreras continued his uh, rash of, of base hits and coming in clutch when we needed him. Absolutely. You know, he's we talked about him so much last week, and again, he he had another tremendous week this week. He's just he's a guy that's really coming into his own. And again, I think either you or I said it on the last episode. The Braves had the two best catchers in baseball right now. Yeah, and they get it, to play sometimes in the same game, which is even, even better. Yeah, absolutely. You know, figuring out a way to get either Darnold's bat or Willie's bat in the lineup is crucial at this point because of how productive both of them are. And for a team that went through seven catchers last season to now having the best one-two punch behind the plate in the entire in the entire league. It is is just phenomenal stuff, and not only that, but we came into the season expecting to have Manny Pena, who we could still see at some point this season as a bench piece option, who has plenty of pop in the bat. So it's funny how things can change over the course of a year. Yeah, we got pretty lucky with being able to, for, or with Contreras turning out to be what he's done, or, or, or you know who he's who he's been lately. Um, you know, I think he came up last year. You know, was was up last year and. Didn't quite fill the role like they thought he would, and then you know, giving the shot this year for him to actually to to produce has been great. It absolutely has. So Braves take managed to take one out of three in Arizona. They hop on the plane and head to Denver, Colorado, to begin a four game series uh, against the Colorado Rockies. Game one of the four game set is started by Ian Anderson. Ian with. <laughs> Kind of your classic Ian Anderson start, uh, going six innings pitched, allowing five runs, nine strikeouts, and one walk. Of course, he allows uh, a run in the in the bottom of the first inning. A uh, Charlie Blackman RBI single puts the Rockies up one to nothing early. But then the Braves immediately score five unanswered runs, actually nine unanswered runs, uh, before uh, Colorado is able to put three on the board in the bottom of the fifth. This was a game that. Feels like the Braves, besides the first inning, really just kind of ran away with. Travis Darno had a heck of a night at the plate, homering twice, one of them being for a grand slam. The old Grandy. Uh, yeah, this is the it, Travis Darno game. Yeah, this was this was absolutely the Travis Darno game. First grand slam of the year for the Braves comes off the bat of old TDA. Uh, so the final score in this ballgame going 13 to 6, 13 runs, 18 hits, and no errors for Atlanta. Matching up with Colorado's six runs, 13 hits, and one error. This feels like your prototypical Colorado game. Yeah, this was this is the way to come out of the gates after kind of you know faltering a little bit in Arizona. This was good to see. The offense was back. Granted, it was Colorado. But, yeah, you expected a, a, a big scoring game. We got it in game one. Absolutely. So the Braves improved their record after defeating Colorado 13-6. to Improved their record to 25 and 27. Big offensive outing by the Braves in game one. 
Game two becomes a little bit of a different story. Uh, the Braves go into extra innings against the Colorado Rockies on Friday night's game. Second time in Coors Field history that Colorado has gone into extra innings with both teams remaining scoreless. Nothing to nothing after nine innings of play, after an absolute gem pitched by Max Free throwing eight scoreless innings. Final score, 3-1 to one after 10 innings. Braves managed to chip away in extra innings, getting their first extra innings win of the season. And for the first time all year, winning three in a row. Yeah, that was uh, that was not your, your usual Colorado game. Like, it, it was very odd to see no runs at all like, by either team. Like, it was just it was just a scoreless game. And it was just, just I don't know, I, I, you kind of think, okay, maybe they used all their offense the day before. But um, – I, when I heard them say that it was the first game or, or the second game, excuse me, to ever go into extras at, at Coors Field like that, that I, mean, I just I didn't I didn't never know that. Like I was like, holy cow! Like this is only the second one ever, and and yeah. I was like, well, that means the Braves are probably going to lose, especially wasting a match free outing like this. So I was already kind of negatively thinking. I was like, this isn't going to end well, but fortunately it did. Yeah, so it it, it is funny that this was certainly a game that. As it kept going on, I started getting just an uneasy feeling about it because as well as Max was pitching, we just were not taking advantage of opportunities to, you know, to be able to score. 11 combined hits in this game, Atlanta's eight hits to Colorado's three, just not a whole lot of offense on display here. But Max Freed, absolutely the story in this game tonight. Again, going eight innings pitched, allowing only two base hits, one walk, and four strikeouts. Ronald Acuna goes two for four. Dansby Swanson goes three for four yeah, in this game. he's on fire right now. He, 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 yeah. He went from can't find the ball to can't miss the ball. Well, it's, it's the classic – Dansby Swanson scenario that that I think we've all come to expect at this point is that when he gets hot, he's one of the best hitters in baseball, it seems like. And I know coming into today, I think uh, through the first three games against Colorado, Dansby had gone like six for 14 mm-hmm. or something ridiculous like that, you know, it, it and, he, and he had a good day at the plate today. So it, it's we're in a good little era, right? We're in a good little s- scenario right now with Dansby at the plate, and it couldn't come at a better time, especially when you consider the upcoming competition that we're about to see. Yeah, I'd, I'd much rather him warm up now than than or, or you know, I'd rather him slumped earlier in the season than now when we're about to get in the thick of the games. Absolutely. So, Braves defeat the Colorado Rockies in extra innings on Friday night. Saturday night. Sure, why not? Let's go into extras yet again. Braves, after 11 innings, defeat the Colorado Rockies 6-2 to after a big four-run 11th inning, including a two-run homer by Adam Duvall to really put an extra stamp on the 11th. A.J. Minter takes the win as the Braves jump over former Brave Julius Chassin in this contest. Just a bit of a wild game here tonight. Uh, again, Braves jumping out six to two, a game that didn't end to I believe almost one o'clock. Yeah, I did not time. stay up for that one. I was way out for that. Yeah. <laughs> I I actually <laughs> stayed up for it. We uh, we were talking off air earlier. Um, our our parents threw us a nice little housewarming party that kind of went later into the night, and by the time everybody left, you know, I was still kind of wound up. So I actually ended up staying up and watching that game. 
Uh, but the Braves defeat the Rockies 6-2. to two. They have now won four in a row. They have climbed back to 500 with a record of 27-27. and 27. Again, another good night uh, at, at the plate for plenty of guys, including Austin Riley going two for five, Adam Duvall going two for five, and Michael Harris going two for five this evening. Spencer Strider once again got the start on this game. Didn't get quite as much under his belt in this contest as I think a lot of people maybe expect him to. Going four innings pitched, allowing two hits, one earned run, but five walks and five strikeouts. Uh, the walks are really what hurt. Uh, what hurt Spencer here? Although you know he was able to dance around quite a bit of trouble and only allowed one run, but you're talking about a game that going into the top of the sixth inning, the Rockies had a one to nothing lead. But fortunately, the Braves were able to tie it up and then ultimately come away. It's funny when you look at this box score. After nine innings, it was one to one, but yep. your final score ends up being six to two. Yep. It's always like that. It seems like if it goes into extras, like somebody gets on a streak and you roll off two, three, four runs. And so it's like, you know, you'll, it's funny to see an extra inning game and, in, you know, like eight to two or six to two or something like that. But it's, yeah, it seems like when the floodgates open, they open. Yeah, absolutely they do. So the Braves have won four in a row. They have taken the first three games in a four-game set against Colorado. Going into Sunday's game, Charlie Morton on the mound. And the Braves actually come away with a four-game sweep. The first time ever they have come away with a four-game sweep in Colorado. They were talking on the radio that the last time that the Braves took four games from the Colorado Rockies was at Turner Field, I believe, back in 2013. So it has been nine years since the Braves have been able to take four from Colorado. Not only that, but it was the first four-game series win that the Braves have had in Colorado I think they said since 1998. The Braves did let them back into that game late. It, it, it would have been a little, little uh, less stressful, but they kind of they started come. I think they scored three runs in the last three innings or something of that nature. Yeah, so the the Braves were up eight to let's see eight to four going into the bottom of the eighth, but then Will Smith allows a two run homer, which puts the Rockies within striking distance of two runs, and then Kenley Jansen. Actually allows a homer in the bottom of the ninth, and eight to seven is your score. And the Braves actually managed to get out of the bottom of the ninth inning with a runner in scoring position, the tying run in scoring position, with a heck of a uh, play at first by Matt Olson managing to get out of the jam. So the Braves have now won five in a row. Their record stands at 28 and 27. First time they have been above 500 all year since after the first weekend of the season. So Jeff, as we talked about last week, this was certainly the week for the Braves to get on a roll. And while, yes, dropping the first two games to Arizona is a bit of a disappointment, if we had said last week that in seven games the Braves need to take five, well, that's what they ended up doing. Yeah, I mean, they definitely did what they needed to do, especially with the Mets, who unfortunately beat the Dodgers today. Um, We're sitting eight and a half back right now, so that's far better than where we were before this road trip started. And uh, it – um. It feels good to get above 500 before August for sure. Hopefully we can stay there and continue to, to chase down the Mets. But um, I know that's probably not something that most teams consider a big thing to get over, but it's got to be looming that you're just not – you can't get over 500. You get there and then you go back down. So for them to clear now and not have to ride into the summer without you know, the same narrative going on, uh, hopefully mentally that helps the team prepare. But before we get too far away, uh, I believe it was Friday night's game was on Apple TV. Did you get to watch any of it? 
I got to watch. Uh, I got to watch about the second half of the game. Uh, my wife and I had gone out to dinner uh, with with my mom and stepdad that evening, so um, I listened to the first half of the game on, on in the car on the ride back. But once I got home, I turned on the Apple TV broadcast. I actually missed our first broadcast on Apple TV, Same. and I was I was pleasantly surprised by this game by the by the broadcast quality, especially. I didn't get to see the one either that was before. I don't remember if it was on Peacock or Apple. I can't recall, but. This is the first one that I've seen on Apple TV and the visual aspect of it was phenomenal. Like the cameras, it, it, some, I, I thought someone said, Oh, they're the same cameras that they always use. And then someone found a, a, a tweet that was not, or they, they said different that those are special cameras that Apple uses for their, um, for their broadcast, but they were super ultra HD. Everything was so crisp, so clear. And it was just, it was so nice to have that really visually pleasing game. The broadcasting, it was uh, Katie Nolan, Hunter Pence. I don't. I don't know the, the the main guy's name, but um, it was a little bit lackluster. You know, it was. It seemed like more times than not they were just kind of watching the game and just saying things that they saw rather than actually calling the game. Um, I saw a lot of people ripping the uh, the uh, the broadcasting team. It didn't take away from the game in, in my opinion, any. But um, but just I think the astounding visual aesthetics that game. Just I, it was. I wish every game was like that. I wish they could somehow figure where Apple could run the, the the video part of it and then just let the the teams have their own audio people. But I thought they did a pretty good job overall. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree completely. The visuals were just very well done. Uh, the, the, the camera work on that broadcast is just absolutely tremendous. So, you know, if you, if you can get past, you know, the commentary not necessarily being the greatest, I don't think it was offensive in any, in any way or, or, you know, necessarily even bad. It certainly wasn't uh, wasn't great, but I think the, the visuals and the presentation certainly made up for that. Oh, yeah. So so the Braves have a five and two week across their the seven games on this past week's slate. They are seven and three in their last 10. They won five in a row, currently sitting at 28 and 27, eight and a half games back of first place of the New York Mets, who currently sit at 37 and 19. Philadelphia sits in third place in the division at 25 and 29. Philadelphia, of course, in the news this week after firing manager Joe Girardi. Yeah, this is real early for a firing, for in my opinion, but it sounded like that he knew it was coming. I mean, kind of, kind of see the right on the wall the way they've been playing lately. Then they they let him go, and all of a sudden they rip off what two two really like big wins. Yeah, they they won four in a row now, and again, I, I don't think Joe Girardi's not a great great manager, but I also don't think he's their biggest problem as we've talked about on this show before. Yeah, well, they were also playing the Angels, I think, for some of those games. Who they, they've kind of lost it too. So you know, you have to kind of take it with the grain of salt. Oh, yes, the Angels have lost 11 in a row at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, sitting in fourth place in the division is the Miami Marlins at 22-30, and 30, 13 games back at first place. And bringing up the rear, as expected, is the Washington Nationals at 21-35, and 35, 16 games back of first. Washington also being the only team in the division at this point now with a negative run differential at negative 77. Jeez. Yeah, so not 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 a, lot, a whole lot of fun going on for the Nationals at this point. Looking ahead at the Braves' upcoming schedule this week, the Braves have six games this week, off day on Monday as they travel back home to Atlanta. Then starting on Tuesday, a two-game stretch against the visiting Oakland, Oakland Athletics. Kyle Wright will get the start on Tuesday night, and then Ian Anderson will get the start on Wednesday night. 
So fun, uh, fun thing about this little series is possibly seeing Christian Pache out in center field once again. Yeah, it's cool to kind of see what he's done out there since he he, he got traded there. He's uh, he seems to be blending in really well with the team. Like he's been playing well. He's kind of fit a role that they needed, and he's getting playing time for a team that's not going to be in the hunt anytime soon. It doesn't look like so. Um, it's kind of it's kind of nice to see somebody go somewhere and, and flourish that they probably would not have had the opportunity to do here. And, and he's just he's such a such a likable kid. Yeah. Too. Um, so you know, hope hope for all the best for Christian. So. Two games set against Oakland on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then the Pittsburgh Pirates come into town on Thursday, beginning a four-game stretch. Uh, Max Freed gets the start on Thursday evening. Spencer Strider will start on Friday night. Charlie Morton gets the start on Saturday, and then Kyle Wright gets his second start of the week on Sunday. Uh, Thursday and Friday are 7.20 starts. Saturday, a 4.10 p.m. start. So uh, one of those rare Saturday afternoon games. And then Sunday is your standard 1.35 first pitch. So six games against a couple of teams who are nowhere near uh, 500 at this point. Although Pittsburgh really doesn't have a terrible record. They're sitting at 24 and 28. Uh, They kind of have a better record than Philadelphia does right now. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, but six games against two sub-500 teams. Again, another one of these weeks where the Braves need to take advantage of who they're playing. Well, the Pirates are coming in hot, man. They just swept the Dodgers, so they're going to be running <laughs> yeah. hot. Yeah. Th- thanks, Pirates. Uh, hopefully you can yeah. to play baseball when you arrive here. But um, the A's are absolutely terrible. I think they're like 1-9 and nine or 1-10 in their last couple of games. So I fully expect to get swept by them uh, very, very badly. So that's my anticipation that we will <laughs> get swept by the A's. But uh, no, in all seriousness, this week is almost identical to last week, and in, in the fact that I can see us taking the, both of these series, um, and and hopefully we can can salvage some similar record that we just had off this one. It was five and two, um, right? Maybe we can can equal that or or, or better, and uh, continue to chase down the Mets. Yeah, the the A's have lost nine of their last ten and currently sit at twenty and thirty six. But like you said, the, these are kind of the games that. Almost concern you a little bit, although they shouldn't, just because, Braves, again, playing down to your competition. Yeah, the Braves always seem like they're slump busters for some reason. Like It doesn't doesn't matter what team we're playing. Like It just seems like if they're coming off of a bad uh, – the, the opponent's coming off of a bad stretch, that they're going to turn it around on us. So hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully they can, can keep the momentum that they've had this past uh, series in Colorado. Absolutely. So big six games coming up for Atlanta this week. Hopefully the Braves can continue to take care of business and keep this role going. They've won five in a row, so we'll see what they do this week against Oakland and Pittsburgh. We're going to step aside for one more quick break, and when we come back, we actually have a voicemail to get to this week right here on Chatting Average right after this. Okay, so I lied. Before we get into this week's voicemail, we do have one thing that we need to bring up from last week's episode. Jeff, last week you mentioned that you had never had a moon pie. That is correct. Have you completed your homework for this week's episode? In my hand, this may sound a little ASMR, but in my there hand, I have a moon pie since 1917, the original marshmallow sandwich, unopened, to be opened here, and then with it I have a RC Cola. My uh, wonderful wife and son stopped by the store tonight uh, to get me a moon pie and RC Cola to do on on the show here. So a, a, a live tasting, if you will. 
So shout out to uh, to Nikki and Maddox Donahue for making this segment possible. Here we go. I feel like I'm been dangerously uh, close to losing my Southern card based on the response of this. <laughs> um, could be close to not having one. So let me let me try this out here. Okay, ready? Let me actually let me open the RC cold here. Hang on. Was that was that a twist cap? Yeah. Really? It sure was. How about that? Okay. Yep. So I got my Royal Crown Cola here. Hope I can do this without coughing. I'm long up. Okay. Here we go. Oh, chocolate wafer with some marshmallow. Here we go. Oh man, that's good. Yeah, there it is. That's real good. <laughs> it's it's a it's a s'mores cookie, basically. It's just it's just a chocolate coated s'more. Oh my God, why have I waited so long to have this? I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. You may have to do the rest of the show yourself. Uh-oh. Well, while you enjoy the deliciousness that is a moon pie and RC cola, Jeff, we do have a voicemail. Right. So do, we, fir- do we know who it's from? I believe I recognize the number, but I think we'll recognize the voice even sooner. So here is our voicemail for this week. I know those voices. This is Joe Seppi, and to my right is Sam there. Oh my god! I don't know if you heard about it. We are on the Twitter machine, and basically, we're the most famous guys on the Twitter, and probably the only two to keep this particular podcast afloat. That's fair. So, yeah. um, I, like, I don't know how to how to bring this up without being contentious or anything, but, like, where is our money? Oh. I feel like we are owed many royalties, which, like, you can, we can either discuss this now or my lawyer will be getting in touch. Um, Sam, how do you feel about my lawyer getting in touch? I think it's a great idea. I think we're going to spend the rest of our rights planning. Yeah. Yeah, how we're going to get this money. Um, I, I feel like defamation is a strong beginning. What? Do you know anything about being defamitated? Defamate? Defamation? Is that a word? Do you have any experience with that? Uh, Defamation, yes. Yes. (laughs) So I hope you guys heed the warning. Oh, we're only a minute 30 into this call. Dude, we're only halfway there. Wow. I don't know if you heard about it. They have a three-minute time limit, and that has never stopped me before. (laughs) So you think you're carrying the show. Exactly. Longer is better. That is what she said, my good friend. Well said. <laughs> and so, I know you guys are probably, you got the little the goosebumps on your neck and you like you don't know what to do because you know like your careers are basically over at this point because uh, the big dog is in town now and he's, he's hungry and everything. And um, what in the world is actually, this? I'm not really that hungry anymore because Sam made me rip at my house, which was weird, but it, I appreciated it. And also... I'm um, full now, but not that hungry, but I still, the money, give it to me, us, I mean us, and um, also, I had a question, Sam, cover your ears, what's the best way to go about kidnapping, do you guys have any, does he think uh, I'm taking him to the airport right now, but he thinks he doesn't know the airport is the complete opposite direction, <laughs> what an idiot, <laughs> oh god, um, <laughs> nice. So, with that being said, gentlemen, I hope you have a blessed day. Help me get back in the trunk. 
that is all from here. Love you guys. Love you. Okay, so that was uh, Joe Seppi and Sam Near riding in a car together. Okay, a couple of things. <clears throat> I, I I don't think Joe knows what defamation means. Um, he 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 certainly threw some words out there. He did. I think, he he probably I think was looking a couple at the of were actually words. Yeah, they, they yeah, collectively he made a sentence. Um, two, I completely envisioned Joe in his truck, and like Sam, like strapped down to the flatbed, like in a like kidnapped position, like the like a tarp job. You know, you got the straps over, like help me, like you know, this this trucker guy's taking me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, so, I just I, I want to throw out there that Sam went to Joe's house and apparently made him ribs. Yeah, that is uh, Sam. Sam has been here with us to hang out, not at my house, but he's been here in my town. Never offered to come over and make ribs. What's up with that, Sam? I I certainly want him to come to my house and make ribs. That would be great. Well, that was a fun call. I, uh, it's it's always fun when Twitter people get together because it's like you know it's kind of like worlds colliding. Um, and I know they've hung out before in San Diego, so it's kind of cool to get to hang out in Joe's neck of the woods. But um, yeah, but I mean, by all means, have the attorneys call. I mean, I, I we keep here at chatting average. We keep attorneys on retainer for these types of incidences. Um, so, we'll see you in court, Joe. See you there. Well, guys, today's episode of Chatting Average is brought to you by Sports Drink, your local digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or on social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in at sportsdrink, spelled like sports drink, but without the vowels. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let the funk out. Jeff, it has been an excellent two weeks hanging out with you, my guy. Thank you so much for filling in for Alex while he was out. Yeah, I've enjoyed it, man. Thanks for having me uh, to do that, and I will always be available in the bullpen when needed. Um, and and thank you for the moon pie suggestion. That was a uh, that was a fun little thing. I'm, I'm going to go probably have three or four more before bed. See, so look at us chatting average, bringing people like Joe and Sam together, and bringing Jeff together with moon pies. Well, for Cam Matthews. And for Jeff Donahue, this has been Chatting Average. We'll see y'all next week on another brand new episode. Pasta la vista. This has been the Chatting Average Podcast, brought to you by Sports Drink. Be sure to check out our merchandise store at teespring.com slash stores slash Chatting Average Podcast. And please consider becoming a patron of our show at patreon.com slash Chatting Average. We'll see you next week for another brand new episode. <laughs>